0: Welcome, witches and ghouls. We are pleased to say that we are now a part of the Morbidly Beautiful podcast network and family. Morbidly Beautiful is your macabre home away from home with horror news, reviews, editorials and more. Morbidly Beautiful supports everyone in the horror community from special effects artists, indie filmmakers, writers, women, LGBTQ folks and so much more. And we are so excited to be part of this new spooky team. Please go to morbidlybeautiful.com to find out more. And now on with the show. I spin on your podcast a monthly horror podcast brought to you by the spinsters of horror this is a time once a month where Jess puts down her bloody nitty needles and I step away from the tv to discuss horror movies and sometimes other horror mediums with thoughtful analysis research and passion
1: in this episode we are exploring coming of age horror the theme we'll be looking at is monstrous power formed during the transition into womanhood and the film up for discussion is 2007's teeth so pick your poison and listen on if you dare
2: all right what can i do for you miss is this your first time
0: okay so i imagine you have no idea what to expect not really don't worry i'm not gonna bite you just lie down put your feet right in here
2: okay are you sexually active no i just want to be checked out okay There might be something weird going on inside. What? What's... What have you put in here? There is something inside of me that's lethal. did What? It's Latin for teeth. It's what's inside me. Are you afraid?
0: This is too weird.
2: Just wait.
0: Kelly. So tell me about your experience with this film, Teeth. So probably about eight years ago, I blind bought it at Fan Expo. It was actually a time where they used to have HMV. So there was tons of movies to buy really cheaply. So actually, I think at the same time I bought this, I also bought Martyrs. Oh, wow. Blind bought it. So it was a bunch of blind buys and I totally fell in love with it. How about you? For me, I think
1: I'm pretty sure you mentioned Teeth to me or I saw some like um, trailer for it at some point in my life life in university and I remember seeing it and being like no I'm never gonna watch this this makes me feel very uncomfortable <laughs> this is the idea of a vagina having teeth in it and I didn't want to watch it and then years like about four years ago I was like scrolling through shutter I was looking for something for some empowerment in my life and I was just like you know what I'm going to give teeth a watch because everyone talks about it and talks how great of a film it is and how empowering it is. And I watched it and I love it. And I think I talk about it quite often. Like, I think I talked about it last year for my blog post last year.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah, I've definitely revisited it and uh, the themes found in it a few times now. And I I don't find that surprising whatsoever. There's so much going on in the movie. Yeah. So what are your likes for this film? What do I like about teeth? So I love the premise of it. Mm. I do really like this, this story contained within it. And upon a pretty good search today, there's pretty much no movies that, especially horror movies anyways, that specifically discuss the myth of the vagina dentata. So this movie is very unique, yeah. very refreshing. It was fun to, to watch for the first time. I think the acting is fantastic. Jess Wexler, I believe is her name. Yeah. The actress who plays Dawn is so fantastic. She's so, so adorable and sweet. And Brad, the guy who plays Brad, does a really great job of being an absolute creep. Oh my God, yeah. And I just love, I love it. Um, speaking of Brad, I love that, dichotomy and relationship between Brad and Don. I'm really fascinated by it and might be something that I look at more so in the future, but I really, really enjoy that as much as you can enjoy that. It's like kind uh, of like a VC, <laughs> it's like a VC
1: Andrews thing happening there, like a brother oh, in love with his like, stepsister or sister or yeah.
0: Total VC oh Andrew God. vibes. VC Andrews. Jesus. <laughs> and, Definitely. Of course, I love the gore and practical effects. There's so much dick in this and dick's being taken (laughs) off and it shows it. Yeah, it does. does. Like you don't see that a lot in movies. I've seen a lot of extreme horror movies and different things. And I also found that very refreshing. A lot of dicks and a lot of dick trauma. So I was into that. I was six hundred and sixty six percent into it. <laughs> How about you? That was awesome.
1: Uh, I definitely have a lot of likes for this film. A lot of very the same ones that you have expressed. Jess Wessler is just a wonderful actress, and I don't think I've seen her in anything else. And I really wish I could, or maybe I should look into more of what she's done. Mm-hmm. Getting over my own fear of you know the anatomy and, and stuff like that. I. I also do love the premise of having some kind of, like, internalized weapon that can, you know, you can control when something happens, and so I think that's a wonderful story being told, despite it being, like, you know, having to be labeled a horror movie because of the nature of what it discusses, or what it is, or Mm -hmm. what it represents, so, like I said, you said the same thing, the practical effects are really good, the, uh... I, I do love the scenes, the castration scenes, because they always, like, while it would be totally horrifying for the guy, but it, it's also comedic at the same time, too, because they don't realize mm-hmm. what's happened, and then they're like, oh, wait, something's happened, especially the scene with, like, the doctor. Mm-hmm. Despite how, like, traumatic that event would be, it's still kind of hilarious. I love this movie, and I just keep mm. going back to it. For a movie that I... You know the music that goes with it, the score. The, you know, the pacing is all perfect. Mm-hmm. Seeing what Dawn goes through, she wants to do research. She wants to understand this. It's just, I think it's just really wonderful, and it's like, and it's also kind of like a really relatable film. Uh, it sounds like you don't dislike anything about it. I don't. But I no. No, I don't. Like the only <laughs> things I dislike are you. You know the character. Obviously, the characters who take advantage of Dawn, which yeah. is and like you, you mentioned Brad there. He's total creeposaurus, and like he, mm-hmm. when he ever he would come on the scene, and just like make me stomach. I'm like, oh no. Uh, no." Your skin
0: just crawls. Yeah. Yeah. You're like,
1: no, thank you. So
0: Yeah. So this movie is branded or at least categorized as a horror comedy Mm. or comedy horror. But doesn't really fit into both categories. I don't, I personally don't really see it as a horror comedy because I, I know that it's there's aspects of it that are meant to be comedic, but I just, I don't find this a super funny film. Mm. I think it's much more serious than it's branded to be. Yeah. Um, and that's just how I watch it. Okay. I think of it more as a parody. Parodies are normally, you know, comedic, mm-hmm. um, but I just see it more of like a parody slash fantasy Oh, definitely with some horrific elements but it's not necessarily built up to be like this atmospheric, dread inducing uh, film. Yeah. Again, that's not necessarily bad but just a comment I wanted to make about it because I think it kind of makes for different kind of expectations for people if they're going into it expecting one type of movie, like a horror comedy but it's like so light on the horror. Um. And like you bring up a really good point about how that movie was marketed because like I remember
1: seeing the trailer and it's marketed like a horror film and mm-hmm. it makes you feel mm-hmm. like, and that's what I mean, like where well, I felt like oh I don't want to like that's just oh I don't know I can't do mm-hmm. that like I feel uncomfortable just mm-hmm. that the idea of having teeth down there and um, mm-hmm. that was when I when we were doing research into this film and reading about up on this film because of the subject matter and because it made the executives uncomfortable uh, mm-hmm. for it to be like a dark
0: comedy they branded it and marketed it as a horror movie interesting yeah so it's branded and was marketed as a more of a horror movie but in the end it's more of like a dark comedy it's yeah. Definitely, I wouldn't necessarily uh, call it horror. We're discussing it because it definitely has horrific elements and it's super neat. So great point. Another thing that I wish I would have seen more is more of Dawn's mom. Mm. I understand how she is such an important figure in Dawn's life, but we don't see much of her. It's like that really nice moment in the beginning of her and her new husband and the two kids in the pool, and like there's that. And then we find it, we find out later that yeah, she's very sick, but that's it. And all of a sudden she dies. And like, obviously that's really upsetting, but we don't actually get to know anything about the mom. So I felt like that could have been developed a little bit more. So when she died, it would be much more impactful than I think it was for myself anyways. Like, yes, it's sad, but I wasn't super brokenhearted about it because I don't, I don't really know who this woman is. Mm. You bring up a really good point there. And I didn't really think about
1: that, but yeah, it would, if we knew more and we saw more of that connection, we would understand how big of a deal it is for Dawn to do what she does at the end. Mm-hmm. To kind of, like, let's say, like,
0: avenge her mother's death. Totally. Besides just, the, like, the, the basic feeling of, yeah, my mom died. He did nothing about it. Yeah. I'm mad. Yeah. I, yeah. So, and then you mentioned the doctor and the doctor scene. So, just something, again, this is why I think this is much more of a parody. And then so much of this, I think, is rooted in, Reality. This scene, no. The doctor scene, no. Because why does the doctor try to fist her? Oh my god. I wanna know. That's what I wanna know. Did not even thought of this. And you know what's funny? On the first time
1: watch, the very first time I ever watched that, I didn't Maybe because I just felt so uncomfortable with that scene in general because I just have my own discomfort when it comes (laughs) to those types of exams anyway. So like I remember not seeing like the full detail of what he is doing. I'm just thinking like, oh, he's just, he's just fingering her. And then watching Mm -hmm. the second time and then watching them take the gloves off and like he's going, I'm like, he's fucking fisting her. What is Mm -hmm. happening? Who, like, why is this sick pervert working in this industry? Like, oh, well, clearly (laughs) we know why, but like, oh my God.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I don't get why that. That happened. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> but I noticed that this this watch that he uh, tries to fist her. Ugh. What does he say? He wants to f- uh, test her like flexibility, and I was like, "What's uh, happening? You don't you don't test a woman's flexibility that way." I'm sorry. No, no, nope, no. Nope. Oh boy. So yeah, that's the the crazy kind of iconic scene of the movie. Yeah. <clears throat>
2: vagina appears in the mythology of many and diverse cultures all over the world. In these myths, the story is always the same. The hero must do battle with the woman, the toothed creature, and break her power. <laughs>
0: So let's get into it. We're going to first talk about vagina dentata and weaponized anatomy. Mm -hmm. Vagina dentata is a really interesting myth and concept. Uh, Actually, myths of vagina with teeth are actually pretty prevalent all over the world. You see it in India, North America, South America, Africa, Europe, even Native Americans have their myths which was really outstanding to me that this is worldwide that men around the world fear the women's vagina, and that's yes,
1: in general. like it's not just like your that your vagina could have possibly have teeth. So it'd be like in a lot of these myths' like these women already have teeth in their vaginas, and now we need a hero yeah. to remove
0: them. There's also the uh, Briar Rose or Sleeping Beauty story and all of its mm. different variants. so okay. Briefly, we have our suitors who wish to win over Briar Rose, but they must first penetrate the hedge of thorns that bars their way. So only the prince who who inspires true love is able to pass through unharmed. So again, a variance of the vagina dentata myth of, you know, the knight has to come in and conquer the woman, so to speak, and break through those teeth and... Yes, and so we'll get more into that for sure. And I think you have a couple of myths from around the world. Yeah, I do. So... Over in, like,
1: India, they have the story of the Brahmin who was convinced that the woman that he loved had a toothed vagina, and so he ends up hiring four men to kidnap her and remove those teeth, and then by defanging her, he ends up taming her and then marries her, so that's over in India. And then in Japan, the Shinto tale of a demon hiding in a woman's vagina, Mm. and when she gets married, she unwittingly castrates her first two husbands, and then she has to remove the teeth herself. Now, it's interesting enough that in this story in Japan, that this is about her removing the teeth and it shows a woman taking agency uh, of her own sexuality and this is actually part of a, a religious mm, holiday mm. over in Japan that they actually have that they celebrate this for, uh, for female prostitutes. But the one that was really interesting that oh. I picked up over in um, Barbara Creed's The Monstrous Feminine is that she talks about the legend of the vagina girls. So these were uh, women Mm. who lived in houses and they were vaginas that had taken the form of women, but they ate their lovers due to their strong teeth. And so a boy hero, once again, the term hero, he enters into the into the house of the vagina women and he gives them a special medicine of sour berries, which then destroyed their teeth and made their lips pucker more. It makes it more pleasurable because now they swallow instead of bite, which is far more pleasurable for men um, inserting (laughs) themselves into their (laughs) lovers. Going yeah, to assume, <laughs> anyways, <laughs> but yeah, there are lots, and this was just some of the myths. But there are lots out there about the sphere of castration, the sphere of the tooth vagina.
0: Yes, and it seemed going back into the nineteenth and twentieth century. European interpretations over there, they linked um, Mm, the whole vagina dentata myth to Freudian concepts of what you just mentioned, the castration anxiety. So young males have this unconscious fear of castration upon seeing female genitalia, the whole aspect of what's going to happen when they have sex for the first time. So vagina dentata essentially is showing us the male fear, fears of castration and intercourse, so, they need to be able to remove those teeth from the vaginas to, in bolded letters, in order to transform her into a non threatening and marriageable sexual partner. Mm. Exactly, right? Because it plays upon the male's
1: fear that the woman's vagina is a dark hole that threatens to consume them piece by piece. <laughs> it actually kind of reminds me, there's a scene um, in American Gods, uh, both in the book and on the Amazon series where there is a goddess, she's having sex with a man and she literally, as she gets bigger and bigger and bigger, her vagina is like devouring him because that, that's how she's getting Ooh. her pleasure. So it's like, once again, that, that theme that like, you know, a woman must like absorb
0: her lover and like take control. That's Uh, some fantastic imagery (laughs) as a take-home, folks. (laughs) And uh, another thing was that the theme of the vagina with teeth can also be read as an attempt to render again bolded letters to render the potentially dangerous sexuality of women non-threatening to patriarchal power through heroic acts of pulling the teeth which I think you you did yeah. mention. so we have to we have to and another word that you said just now is the taming so a theme that we've talked about numerous times in the podcast but making the uncontrollable woman controllable and we have to tame these wild beasts and so we can have sex with them and then subdue them in order to, you know, for them to fulfill their female roles. Which is also exactly, which is also <laughs>
1: like enhanced in a lot of classical art. And so I didn't realize this until like reading uh, in the book here and looking back at some classical art and there are a lot of images of very beautiful women and they often have an image of a ferocious animal companion beside them, close to their genital area, usually baring their jaws or snapping their teeth. And it's supposed to be like the creature is to represent her deadly genital trap and the evil intent hidden behind the beautiful image Image of a woman, and I'm mm. like, that is so interesting that that we have this heavy responsibility on ourselves that our vaginas are a paradise that ensnare our victims, and mm. that's how we get that's how <laughs> we destroy
0: men's lives with our vaginas. With our vaginas. That's, ac- that's accurate. Speaking of like terminology and and like slurs and stuff like that, so there's a bunch of terms that men actually use towards women that can be seen to come from the vagina dentata myth, A devouring woman, the devouring female genitals is even something that exists today in the modern world. But, you know, I don't think the everyday person knows about the vagina dentata myth, yeah. but it's just so prevalent, so much of this like ingrained in our society and people's subconsciousness, you know, over generations that we still get it. So derogatory terms like man eater, ah. castrating bitch, oh. um, man trap, bottomless pit, a viper, a snapper, a dumb glutton was another one in this uh, dictionary of obscenity taboo euphemisms well it's like you said
1: those terms typically when we hear those terms like man eater or you know castrody images they're referring to some woman in some way shape or form has damaged that man's life has like in some mm-hmm. way manipulated him into something or he's done something he doesn't want to do so instead of you know taking responsibility for his actions, he says, no, that woman, because of her dangerous vagina, made me not think right, and think crazy, mm. and do things that I wouldn't normally do because she has this power over me, right? Damage the
0: ego, I'm sure, along along with it. Exactly.
2: <laughs>
0: <sighs> My goodness. Oh boy, are you already. <laughs> sighing already? I'm already sighing already, because i just like,
1: talking about this is such a huge... And it's so interesting that we only have like this one film on this about this actual like this idea Mm -hmm. because it's so prevalent, you know, and that we're like we're blamed for Mm -hmm. women are blamed for everything because of our sex. Because of like, and that we, we're so dangerous because of this, because of this organ. And it, like, it causes, it causes mayhem and chaos for men.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't know if our partners would agree. Maybe they would. <laughs> I don't
1: know. I have to ask them. I feel so bad for you. Um, so my question for you, I know I took some notes on this. I wanted to ask you about this, is this idea of... Vampire films and being related to the representation of vagina detanta. Barbara Crew talks about this, and I thought this was a really interesting idea, especially since we talked so much about vampirism in episode three. Uh, like, what do mm. you think of this idea? Like, especially for female vampires, often the bloodied mouth and the visible sharp teeth is supposed to like be a mixture of like sex and
0: death, and so men fear this because it's like further idea of castration. Mm. Well, I mean, it seems to technically make sense. I can get behind that for sure. For sure. Yeah, just because like
1: I, it made me think too. Like, there's this. movie by Ken Russell called Lair of the White Worm*. And I remember doing a review mm. of it for my very first podcast, *So the Dark Spectrum*. And there is a scene and I will never forget. The scene, like I saw this movie when mm. I was a kid, and then seeing it again, you know, as an adult, was there's a scene where the vampiric woman um, she's going down on a guy, and she b- mm. comes up and she bares her teeth, and then goes back down on him. So obviously castrating him and just being like, and I remember like, oh my god, wow that's intense (laughs) but it's like that same representation right we have Mm -hmm. a lot of times men Mm -hmm. focus on women's mouth because it kind of looks like a a vagina on their face Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) so imagine Mm -hmm. you know two really pointy vampiric teeth in there
0: but yeah no i can totally get behind that and it's i mean i I feel like you know men are taking their lives into their hands and they try if they because you're very trusting to have somebody do that to them if they don't really know who they are. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, however, yeah, so they don't really seem to be afraid of our mouths, but they're afraid of our vaginas. Yeah. That's that's interesting. Folks, tell us why. <laughs> <laughs> so in my research and as a medical professional, I came across maybe some examples of real-life vagina dentata. Okay, So teratomas are dermoid cysts are something that can develop in any part of the body that includes the brain, the neck, the bladder, and even can see in the testes of men. Um, you can see it in like the pelvic canal of women, but the like, these cysts and teratomas are like a whole bunch of skin cells. You can get teeth in them. You can get hair in them. They really do gross me out. And okay. I've had like weird fears and nightmares about okay. them. Because like they'll remove these cysts and they cut them open and there's teeth and hair in it. Oh my like, goodness. No, that is, oh. that's not okay. okay. God. Yeah, it's very gross. And <laughs> her body does some weird things. It does. So Folks, please join our Facebook group because I shared a really wonderful real-life photo (laughs) of a dermoid cyst in the pelvic canal of a woman which very much is reminiscent of a promotional poster for Teeth, the movie. Yes. So a f- little fun t- medical tips from, from Kelly. Just look that up because <laughs> it's science. Science. Yeah. <laughs> so what I love, now that we've talked about the vagina dentata, the myths and everything, what's wonderful about Teeth is not only does it talk about this this concept of women that we haven't seen before, before in any films, as it actually ends up subverting that myth. So that myth is about the power that men have over women. The man must conquer the woman to render her powerless. Mm-hmm. But yes. we see that the other way around, because a man doesn't ever end up conquering Dawn. Dawn conquers them. This is a power that she has discovers and has towards them because men want to render her submissive they want to victimize her which we definitely see them do they definitely victimize her I don't think she's submissive at all but she's definitely um, a victim in this so I love that about the movie
1: I love that she becomes like her own protagonist right and that her tooth vagina becomes like her defense and her protection so like you were Mm -hmm. saying you know men in these myths would talk about defanging the woman to make sex, sex safer for them, not for the woman, for them, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. woman's no longer a dangerous threat to them. But for Dawn, she's able to tame her own vicious vagina for her own mm-hmm. safety and her own pleasure, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, she could, mm-hmm. when she realizes with um, the one guy there that, oh, I can do this for pleasure, I can, like, I, this is yes. not a curse, I can control this. And then, of course, when he does what he does and she's just and like I love that scene where she's like she looks at him and she's just like oh really and then all hears crunching crunch and you're like yeah yes yeah <laughs> and she's she, like oh damn <laughs> again I was like, oh like, my god <laughs> but like that's that moment she realizes that I have yeah. control of this I can yeah. so I can do this for my own safety and for my own pleasure so I think yeah. that's wonderful about that film
0: completely and talking about that scene so besides the the castration aspect of it a, there's a portion of it that reminded me of Raw which I love mm. so so much okay, yeah. um, so it's Dawn looking at herself in the mirror post having sex for the very first time that's the first time we see a female figure mm-hmm. we've seen a lot of dicks yeah. and <laughs> and that's a fine you know so that's her gazing to the mirror and seeing herself as a woman as a sexual being and she's happy because she gets it now this is not shameful whatsoever this Mm -hmm. is like this is normal this is natural this feels good and it can feel good this is okay so then it's reminiscent to me in that like moment in Raw where that really wonderful French rap song is playing and she's putting lipstick on and she's like oh yeah look at this power that I have, this sexuality, and that's, you know, totally fine. And it, she kind of just starts owning it and understanding that this is who she is and, and that's okay. Which, you know, she's so repressed in that first, like, three quarters of the movie that it's really wonderful to see that happen for her. Well, especially
1: because we're watching this film, and I know we're going to talk about this uh, later on in the podcast, but mm-hmm. we know that she's part of uh, a, group in, a group in society that is absent and mm-hmm. don't believe, they don't believe in premarital sex but also the I, the idea that the, the vagina is hidden so we even see in mm-hmm. that scene when they're in the sex ed class and there's a big giant ass sticker on the woman's vagina not on the man's mm-hmm. penis the woman's vagina mm-hmm. and be like we can't look at this you can't see this because yep. this is considered pornography so we can't yes. show you this and so once again it's going back to that idea that women feel alien to their bodies because they don't Mm -hmm. know and that's why I love about this film is that you're watching Dawn like live in these ideas and then as she's feeling uh you know sexual desire and stuff like that she's trying it's like she's trying to be introduced to her body and then when she realizes like she has this ability she has like the teeth and like it's Mm -hmm. still that it's like leading on to that fear of the vagina right we want to encourage women so much to feel good about touching themselves I'm sorry masturbation I'm just right say it there because you're able to learn about yourself and you're able to learn about the body and you're able to learn about the female natty I mean there's nothing to be mm-hmm. afraid of and you see how Dawn goes through having this fear and she's like oh my mm-hmm. god what is wrong with me there, I, but, but mm-hmm. because she's never done anything with herself she doesn't know this about her body mm-hmm. and then you see like mm-hmm. you said she's learning about her body and then when she does have sex for the first time she's becoming comfortable and stuff like that and, and then mm-hmm. and that's kind of like where we, you get that idea for women the Like when they start feeling comfortable in their sexuality and their body, they feel more empowered,
0: not so stifled, not so repressed. They can actually just be a person. Exactly. In the end, really, you can just be a person. Men are always uh, okay to be people. They've been people for thousands of years, right? And it's and it's
1: it's so interesting how going back to the school example, you see how like there's no sticker on the penis whatsoever, mm-hmm. and so it's normalized. The male's pe- mm-hmm. the male penis is normalized. Male masturbation is normalized. But when mm-hmm. women masturbate, it's like whoa, whoa, this is wrong. Where mm-hmm. women don't do that. Don't they're so pure they don't touch themselves. Like we are mm-hmm. sexual beings, and that's kind of how we are. And and I'm only. Saying this because I'm outing myself. I was afraid for the longest time in my own vagina knew very little about it Um, growing up in a you know very strictly religious household and stuff like that and so it wasn't you know so I feel like I was like very much of a late bloomer that's why I love this story so much in Dawn because it's like yeah yes nothing to be afraid of
0: yeah there's nothing definitely nothing to be afraid of dude I've been looking at myself since I was old enough to really be able to understand and look at myself in the mirror seeing what's going on down there just so I know so I've been very well aware of my body and what it does and what it doesn't do and you know the strengths it's weaknesses okay there's no weaknesses but
1: (laughs) (laughs) But that's and that's a wonderful thing and that's what all women should be encouraged to do to become Mm -hmm. familiar with their bodies and not Mm -hmm. feel so alien in them and not feel so alienated Mm -hmm. from it and that's what I feel Mm -hmm. like we see with Dawn she goes from being alienated to owning it or to being familiar with it
0: totally well there's two scenes that are related to this subject that you're talking about there's the scene where right after that first rape and castration where she's sitting after she's had a shower And she wants to like look and like put her hand Mm -hmm. and touch it, but she hesitates. And I'm assuming it's because she's very afraid because like, what's just happened? What's going on down there? Hence why she wants to go to the doctor, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, what is actually happening down there? She's too afraid to do it herself, but she'll have a medical professional who you're supposed to be able to trust Mm -hmm. and to take a look at that. But then there's the other time where a little bit later in the film where she grabs that textbook and rips the page out of Mm, um, the anatomy textbook and she finally is able to get that sticker off and we don't see it as an audience but she does and she smiles Yes, and I love that part too because she's like oh probably because like wow this is beautiful this is fantastic this is actually what I look like this is amazing Mm -hmm. that's what I'm assuming that's going through her head at that point in time it's like this isn't scary Yeah, and she can be relieved like no this is okay this is what we look like this is normal this is fine you yes, know
1: exactly oh it's good it's so good it is so good and that's what makes it you know a real wonderful film because we've already seen when women are not taught about healthy sex or female anatomy they're very easily mm-hmm. taken advantage of and betrayed mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they don't know
0: they don't know yeah, any better totally so i'm gonna go i want to talk briefly about brad i was like yes we need to talk about brad because <laughs> there was definitely a bunch of different things about him but i feel like so the opening of the movie is that the two kids in the pool and they're hanging out. That's where we, that's where everything opens. That's where everything starts. And so it has little baby Dawn and little itty bitty Brad. They're young in the swimming pool. He definitely crosses the line and puts his finger into her vagina. Yeah. Their brother and sister. Was, yeah. Well, I guess their stepbrother and sister. Yeah. Um, and it gets bitten. So we learn later on in the film. But since then, he has, what I looked up the fear of vagina, it's uratophobia. So fear of the vagina. But he's also had this intense. Intense desire and fascination, but also fear of Dawn. It's like controlled and taken over his entire life. Yes. For her, it's like she completely suppressed that whole time, but also she was very young. Like, I don't know, was she five years old in that? Yeah, pool? she's a child. So she's an itty-bitty thing. And so it's like taken over his entire life. And I find that really, really interesting. So much so that he desires his entire life to take her virginity. And he only has anal sex with women. He, he's afraid of vaginas. Yeah.
1: Well, we get that scene from his girlfriend's being like, she's like, I have a yep.
0: pretty nice pussy too. And he's like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. yeah. He's like, I don't care. Yeah. That's not the one he wants. Yes. He's afraid of it, but that's not what he wants. He wants Dawn. Mm-hmm. It's so weird. It's so like, it just, it's so cringy and it's so weird, but I'm just like, utterly mesmerized by him and everything he represents.
1: Yeah, well he like represents the like really ultra misogynistic view that really dehumanizes women so women are ended up being seen solely as sex objects that can be used abused and violated. And that's Mm -hmm. what he does with his girlfriend. Um, Mm -hmm. That's what he's essentially um, does with Dawn's mother by neglecting her. He's uh, exhibiting a form of abuse. And then his, like you said, that his extreme desire to take Dawn's virginity, this is just like in that how he taunts her and stuff like that is just Uh, all part of that. He just wants to control
0: that. Yeah, he says to I have a quote here it's like, "You know who you're saving yourself for?" Ugh. And she's like she like can't even have a conversation with him cuz he's so gross. Yeah. yeah. I was like, and she's like screams and runs out of the room.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like, she ugh. screams out of frustration, and
0: we're just like, yeah. I'd be screaming out of disgust, man. Like, oh, ugh. totally. She's, like, so much more tolerant of all... I could not even be in the same house as him. He's so weird. Yeah. The other thing I found is really interesting is that he has a very powerful female dog named Mother. Yes. There's a lot in just that. Okay, <laughs> okay. And, like, that dog is aggressive, and he has trained that Rottweiler to protect him and to bite others. Mother, the dog, bites the father, but when Mother comes out... Out of that cage and he's like get her go after Don the dog doesn't picks up his dick and then that's it and eats like it like he it <laughs> eats it yeah so that dog I don't know there's something there like senses that She's non-threatening, or they're one of the same. I know that's definitely anthropomorphizing the dog, but I thought that was very interesting. And she's experiencing
1: the same form of male abuse and domination from Brad, because as a dog, she has teeth, and she's, you know, aggressive, and, Mm -hmm. you know, he trains people to bite. So, yeah, totally uh, interesting, but... They, that yeah. scene at the end
0: with mother when she comes out and he's like go oh, get her and it's like no 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 he won't go for her she won't go for yeah. him totally and also yeah the point about because he keeps that dog in a cage and goes outside I doubt that they don't really have like a normal like companion pet kind of relationship no. it's that dog is like an aggressive backyard chained up dog where nobody can go near that dog because that dog only knows isolation and domination yeah Um, from him and you're right maybe that's why he also got a female dog because I double checked. Like she ran into the cage. I'm like, okay, I don't see balls. I'm going to assume this dog, this, and I pretty much could see like little dog vagina. So I was like, okay, this dog is named mother dog's name is mother. So yeah. yes, I would assume that it's female, but yeah. you know, you know, people are on, they have different names for their pets, yeah. but I, and then there's this part, uh, with Brad where you see him sucking on his scarred finger. Yes. I was like, I never noticed that before. And I just, again, just checking off the list of creep. Yeah, <laughs> it's just, just like <laughs> he's just so obsessed with her and he's so obsessed with that. Ugh, he's just he's so interested and gross. I love it. I love it. Uh, let's see. There are a couple of things. Speaking of <clears throat> vagina dentata and what I found is also really interesting that there are There were two anti-rape devices designed to help women, really only in Africa because they have incredibly high rates of rape there. So maybe some modernized weaponry for defense. So there's the rape axe, which is a hollow chamber that you put into the vagina and has 25 small teeth that penetrates the rapist's penis as they try to pull out. So it's kind of more of like a shark mouth. So you can go in and that's not that comfortable, but if you try to pull out, that's when they kind of like really get in and get into your penis. And then there's this other one one that I didn't find a name for from another he's a South African activist so he designed another one that's supposed to resemble a tampon so the woman can easily put it in their vagina and it is a hard cylindrical plastic core containing a tensioned spring blade primed to slice when pressed against by the tip of the penis so you put it in and if a penis comes in there's a little spring and it activates this blade oh my so gosh it cuts off the tip of the penis performing a minor penectomy oh pinectomy my goodness folks removing of the penis. Penectomies. <laughs> Penectomy. <laughs> if you're looking... I've been waiting my whole life to say that name <laughs> on a podcast.
1: For me, I feel like the discomfort of actually having to insert some type of a device in me to keep what that would be like. Yep, that's Still, that's just horrible in general. We should not not
0: need to have to wear devices to keep men out. No, exactly. And unfortunately, that that rape acts one, they still can be raped. The penis is still going to go in. You still have that whole trauma and violation of it. But at least when they try to pull out.
1: You just get a whole new experience of trauma and violation when (laughs) when when they can't get their penis out or if they get it out and it's just.
2: We have a gift. A very precious gift. And what do you do with gifts? Do you go around giving them to everyone you pass on the street? No! No, those wouldn't be gifts. They'd be like a handout. (laughs) (laughs) So, what about the most precious gift of all? Are you gonna give that to the first guy who buys you a big bunch of roses? No. No way! No way! And, um... I'm not just talking to the uh, girls, you guys. You have the same gift to give. Are you gonna give that to some girl because she looks like she just stepped out of a music video? No. No, No. you're gonna hold on to it and share it with the mother of your children. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's what the ring is all about. The way it wraps around your finger, that's to remind you to keep your gift wrapped Wrapped until the day you traded in for that other ring.
0: So a large portion of Teeth, uh, the film, talks about, you know, it's all about abstinence, only education, virginity, chastity, saving yourself for marriage and and stuff like that, which we kind of touched on a bit earlier about the, the repression that Dawn feels so a little bit of history about abstinence-only education. So high school chastity groups really took off in the 90s as kind of a response to the evangelical Christians really upset and fed up with all of the sex and music videos, condoms being distributed in high schools, teen pregnancy, a hypersexualized culture. It's all about sex, yeah, obviously. Um, and then, so in 1995, a national survey of 12,000 students from grade 7 to 12 found that those who took virginity pledges stayed away from sex 18 months longer than students who hadn't taken the pledge. However, they were more likely to engage in oral sex and less likely to use a condom their first time or get tested for STIs. So in 1985, the United States had the highest rate of adolescent pregnancy, which then caused a trend for federal funding of abstinence-only sex education classes. It's really mind-blowing and astounding to me that that is a thing that exists completely. And Mm. then I decided for my own interest's sake as looking up teenage pregnancy and comparing Canada and the US. So since we're talking about the US, 2013, they actually had reached a historic low with 26.6 births per 1,000 women age 15 to 19. That's still a lot. And then in 2017, it went down to 18.8 per 1,000 women. And then compared to... Canada, the only one that I could really find was a, a birth rate in 2002 was 16 per 1,000 women. Okay. So what was that? 2002, 16 per 1,000 in Canada and 2013 it was 26.6 per so it was like double the rate so we we know that teen pregnancy is huge, a Mm -hmm. huge huge problem. It's definitely gone down even compared to like 2017 was 18.8 but that's still, it was bad then. It's still bad it's obviously getting better and I don't think it's related to absence only education (laughs) (laughs) Well because we know like based on the the research that we've been doing
1: about this um, is that a lot of abstinence-only education is very medically inaccurate and Mm -hmm. a lot of times the people are being they're teaching these teenagers that birth control is actually ineffective and actually dangerous and Mm -hmm. that's and so Mm that's so then of course they're not using birth control they're not you know probably protecting themselves and so when they do finally give in and have sex they get pregnant and you're like well yes yep big surprise
0: (laughs) right big surprise and also Let's, you know, let's not talk about the abortion Mm. (laughs) beliefs in America as well, because those young women, you definitely, it's very frowned upon and illegal in many states to have any kind of abortion. So it's just like this. So you're
1: forced into a position of you have your baby.
0: Yeah. Whether you're 14, 15. Yeah. You got to have it. So that's fantastic. Yeah. So, (laughs) so Teeth came out in 2007 and around 2006, we have, you know, George W. Bush as president, and he vastly increased funding for abstinence-only education. He was hugely conservative, hugely religious, hugely all about morality, Mm and a bit of a Puritan, let's say. Yeah. So wanted to replace contraceptive choice, reproductive freedoms, and science, (laughs) scientific (laughs) facts, with his, you know, his morality, his, you know, like, traditional family values. So he wanted to return to those. Yeah. So we saw that increase in like post 9-11, the increase of these chastity groups, huge, huge funding, huge boost of funding for the abstinence only groups. And multiple times in my notes, there was like big words. I was like heteronormativity. Yes. And that's so much of what these groups represent and encourage. So it's woman and man penis and vagina sex only. Yes. And not to be done before you're getting married. And of course all of that is surrounded in all those the romantic ideals of finding the quote unquote right one. Yeah. Quote unquote. And really, really <laughs> focus upon the woman and that is
1: conservative Americans are focusing primarily on female sexuality and using scare tactics to keep young women in quotes pure
0: Mm -hmm. exactly
1: which then leads us into this big idea about the purity myth right so this idea that that virginity and sexual abstinence has some bearing on the goodness of people on on being you know pure and clean and that this is like a a driving force behind the conservative agenda to regress on women rights and to really enforce, as Kelly was saying, those traditional heteronormative gender roles. For
0: sure. And we see this, obviously, in our, in our sweet Dawn. Mm-hmm. You know, she falls into that, like, Bush mentality. Not Bush, you know, Bush, but Bush the person, man. Yes. <laughs> mentality of chastity and modesty. And, of course, going back to the vagina dentata, because that kind of makes her demonic and something to be feared. Mm-hmm. And she buys into that myth. She buys into that she has to be conquered by a man to become undemonized and to remain pure and like that she buys into the whole thing and of course when she calls that guy her hero oh it's so good but she's like some hero and it's like don i love you but you're right like like... my whole life (laughs) in like one sentence like two sorry two words my whole dating career
1: (laughs) but you're you know you're right like we see when the movie is opening up we're seeing don talk about the promise and about, mm. and you know, a lot of people in these uh, abstinence groups are wearing promise rings, and uh, that mm-hmm. they've made to remain pure and to stay pure in His eye, into God's eyes, and to keep their gift and not give it away to someone else. Mm-hmm. So remain. So keeping this idea. So furthering this purity myth and this like idea that women must remain pure before they can get married which then also address and jumps into like the virginity movement which is all about defining mm-hmm. what virginity is and how is only culture accepted accepted with heterosexual intercourse but a lot of these virgins and quotes are still engaging mm. in oral and anal sex but they don't because mm-hmm. they don't see because they think that p into the v is the only is the only sex <laughs> So everything else is fine.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's not not actual sex because they haven't been taught... And they're very, like, religious, conservative, abstinence-only gr- courses by their parents, by the church and everything that, um, well, they don't even really learn about that. They just have to figure that stuff out on their own, mm-hmm. but that, that's not actually sex. And, of course, those part of the virginity movement who would never actually call themselves <laughs> part of or a group of the virginity movement, obviously, it's conservatives. There's a lot of anti-feminists in there, yes. legislators, but it's uh, – they have a specific agenda in mind, and it's all about – Regressing women, you know, traditional, you know, feminine roles for women. And again, I can't stress enough the heteronormativity. So can you imagine being somebody that does not fit in that very, very limited box that these people are teaching and how absolutely alienating and confusing and upsetting that would be Oh, for sure. For for sh-
1: oh, for sure. But then, you know, and on top of that, too, being I couldn't, have, like, being a young woman, like, I remember taking sex ed education in my Catholic high school and mm. when they start talking about, you know, all the things that women have to do, you know, when it comes to sex and really trying to scare you away because it's like they place, like, this is so much responsibility on you. As a woman, once you have mm-hmm. sex, you could get pregnant or, you know, you need to get, like, pap tests. And I remember The Mm -hmm. first time ever seeing the machines for pap tests, I was like, "Never having sex and becoming a nun. Screw this. (laughs) (laughs) This means that the moment I have penile sex, I have to have this thing like shoved into me every year. Fuck that." (laughs) <laughs> uh, clearly, that didn't no go very far. I'm clearly not a nun. But what is also really interesting too is the social the social messaging behind the purity myth and the virginity movement and the conservative agenda is that sex is something that women own and what men and that men want it, and so that women mm-hmm. are the gatekeepers of sexuality. And since women have this huge responsibility on their shoulders, that we control what men do, so we have to not dress a certain way, we need to not act a certain way to invite sex. Mm-hmm. It's like this huge pressure. And then, of course, once again as to this whole um, adding to the rape culture of victim blaming that once again if you Mm -hmm. weren't dressed the the way you were dressed did you you know did you drink too much like that we own it that it's our Mm -hmm. responsibility for men's actions
0: So we need Mm -hmm. to stay pure. We need to stay away and not have sex. We need to say no, you know, all these things. Yeah, it's a very confusing time. And if you can imagine, again, you're 14, 15, 16 years old, you're such an impressionable age that, you know, so much of this, uh, you're gullible, like you could, it's it's ruled by like shame and fear. And that's very easy to do to, to young people, which is... I think very inappropriate. We're very impressionable at that age. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so I know we're okay. We're talk a little bit about purity balls. Oh my gosh, so, we have to talk about these. <laughs> okay. So when I first started reading about that, I thought they were actual balls, like round balls, like testicle balls, not, not testicles, but I didn't realize it was like an event. And an event is like an actual it's prom. A, like, yeah. So I, I thought it was like an object. Okay, I was like, oh okay. boy, like the promise ring like yeah, that yeah, yeah, in, yeah. The, in the movie. But again, it's not that. So please enlighten us. <laughs> so
1: purity balls are events that happen in these abstinent groups where are daddy daughter dances, where at some point, so, um, the men so the women so the girls they get all dressed up in like prom dresses they really get all decked out their fathers get all dressed up in tuxes you know the family they all go to this like ball and they dance they make pledges and so at the point, so there's a point in the evening where the daughters will pledge their virginity to their fathers who then pledge to be the caretakers of their daughter's virginity. Gross, gross, And gross. so, so there has been like pictures and videos of this on the net and there's and sometimes they actually do this in terms of like symbolism as in like where a father will give his daughter a necklace and it'll have like a lock and key so she keeps a lock and he keeps the key until the day that she gets married and then he gives the key, the penis, to her future husband. <laughs> <laughs> who then yeah. can take his daughter's virginity? Treating women and their sexuality as property, mm-hmm. like that whole idea too, right? Where we had like you know, we're dowries, or like women couldn't get married until they had a certain amount of money for their yeah. fathers to be able to give to their future husbands to be able to start their their life together. But this mm. is just your daughter's sex, like yeah, I really don't want my dad anywhere near <laughs> no. my lock and key. <laughs> no, right? Like just like and it reminds you <laughs> the idea of those like chastity belts, right? Um, Because I remember (laughs) doing research into this and like, you know, we, we saw in like Robin Hood Men in tights, uh, the <laughs> Ma- maid Marian wearing the chastity bell, but that was oh like a good thing that some, you know, an idea that they yeah. in the Middle Ages was like the way to keep their young brides' virginity mm-hmm. intact until they came back, yeah. or um, to keep their daughters from running off and doing something yeah. wild in the woods with Satan. I, don't know. <laughs> I just threw that in for
0: just threw that in for, for fun. Because then they're also probably witches. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're probably witches. And once, Everyone it, was in the Middle Ages. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> if you weren't, if you weren't demonically possessed, you're a witch in the middle
1: ages so you know women we had two we really only had two routes to go oh my god and so in so then also the opposite of that is these integrity balls because within these communities people felt that was unfair that daughters and fathers had were participating in that activity that they had to do something for the sons and the mothers So, this is, like, you know, once again, another ball where, like, the sons get dressed up, the mothers get dressed up, they go, they dance, and then the son makes a pledge to his mother that he will remain abstinent to respect some other man's future wife or daughter and not take their virginity. But it's still on the woman to make sure not Mm -hmm. to give her virginity away.
0: Right. It's very strange. So, is it just me or is, like, the States in its own planet? Because this stuff... Like this, all the, oh, so many weird, wacky, not wonderful things happen there. And it's, I just, I don't understand it. Again, it's not my experience because I am a Canadian. So it's just, it's very, it's very bizarre. And I think also because Canada isn't ruled by Christianity yes. and so much in it, like very state to state, but like all of this is just deeply rooted in that. And that's not our lives here.
1: I think Crazy. When, it, when you look across the world, women are still kind of controlled by more traditional means. So typically before, mm-hmm. you know, back in the day, you when you got married, women wore white and that was to symbolize their mm-hmm. purity. It was to symbolize mm-hmm. that they were a virgin when they were meeting their husbands, right? Mm-hmm. You know, in a lot of other cultures, young women wouldn't have been able to marry another man if she, was on, if she was soiled by another man in any way, shape or form, whether she was raped or, mm-hmm. um, or something happened to her traumatically. So you know this idea and this is where like the whole purity myth comes from is this idea that women must remain virginal in their lovers eyes and that and we have these uh, this i've this purity myth and then we have this idea of virginity where you know we only and, and which is really interesting in this research is that there's actually no dear like clear definition about what a virgin is but we mm-hmm. often associate virgins with virgin sacrifices so in a lot of like the you know satanic culture and stuff like that that people <laughs> apply onto the satanic culture i mean like this doesn't necessarily happen but like you Mm -hmm. know the cinema it was always like oh we need a virgin sacrifice so we need a woman who is pure and who has not been touched Mm -hmm. by the dirtiness of man to Mm. appease our god or to make a Mm -hmm. spell happen or to do something right
0: good old virgin suicides so, Teeth, the movie, talks about the suppression of female sexual empowerment. And yeah, let's not talk. look at their abortion laws and lack thereof. Mm-hmm. So, these abstinence-only education, the virginity movement, these purity balls, all of these aspects uh, can be very damaging to, to women, definitely to young people, but we'll t- the movie is about Dawn and we'll talk kind of more about the, ex- the female experience with this, but it's very damaging and it's really inappropriate. As we kind of talked about already, but Dawn is prevented from knowing her own body from her peers from society school religion and in one of these articles there was this really interesting note about how eve Mm. was blamed for the fall of humankind but in teeth perhaps the fall quote-unquote is actually man's inability to respect women interesting turn of events that perhaps because that's all that Dawn experiences. She experienced violation. She experiences violence and rape and assault. And nobody respects her. And what what ends up happening? It activates her special power and then it bites in a mode of, you know, in defensive mode, right? So. Yeah. So... <laughs>
1: Well, right, because we see that typically women who practice uh, intercourse, uh, sexual intercourse, whether it was consensual or not, they're often seen as worthless and casted out from these groups. And this, mm-hmm. we and we saw this when we when Dawn, you know, confused yeah. and like she's going to speak in front of the group and she opens up like the fact that Mm -hmm. she was raped and she doesn't Mm -hmm. really know what to do and what is the group they just stare at her and they start whispering the serpent and phrases the claim that she's no longer pure in his eyes and like Mm -hmm. you said that she fell to that evil temptation of that Eve did and then eventually she becomes like our Lilith figure because she Mm -hmm. you know she becomes demonic Mm -hmm. with his with her teeth
0: yes yeah and you know essentially a whore that's too bad because she's she's starting she's had sex or not that that portion of it was consensual so a large problem which Jess you kind of brought up earlier is how these abstinence only Mm. courses and all of this education it's inaccurate medically scientifically they lie about contraception and reproduction there was a note in one of these articles that in one class they were taught that condoms cause cancer what that condoms were 14 percent effective against preventing pregnancy and STIs Yeah. Okay. What? Where did they come up with that 14%? Yeah, right? So... They're just, of course, not using science and actual factual information, but you know, lies and deception and yeah, inaccuracies. So obviously, what happens that ends up for these kids if you're not taught things properly is that yes, they're going to get STIs. They're gonna, they're just not safe in their sexual health. They don't know what's going on. They don't mm-hmm. know what they're doing. But they're hormonal teenagers, and it's going to happen. Yeah. And it's just they're not going to be doing it properly. Yeah. You know, in the sense of taking care of themselves, understanding what's normal and what's not normal. And they're just, yeah, they're going to get STIs. They're going to get UTIs. They're going to get pregnant. And like pregnancy, obviously that's terrible. You're going to get HIV, but like pregnancy obviously is going to be a big, big one that very easily can happen. And then they're stuck with these babies. So does this absence only education work? You know, those who take these pledges and they're like, yeah, their mom and dads are like, yes, I'm not going to have sex, but. Are they actually not having sex? And if they're not having, like you mentioned, like penis and vagina sex, they're having everything else. Yeah. Which, which can be even more dangerous. Exactly.
1: Which also requires protection and also requires yes. knowing what can happen. So for sure, these abstinence only sex educations are, you're right, Misinformation and a lot of times just using uh, emotional and mental scare tactics for a lot of these mm-hmm. young men and women, like telling them that if you participate in sexual activity outside of marriage, you're gonna you're capable of becoming mm-hmm. diseased. You may get mm-hmm. po- you may like suffer poverty, yeah. depression. You may even commit suicide. Mm-hmm. You know, women are taught that they're ruined and they're meant to feel mm-hmm. ashamed about themselves and their bodies, yeah. and that you know, and boys and, and young men also will like in a way they, they struggle with this um, mm-hmm. idea of. Abstinence and trying to remain pure in someone's eyes and I don't feel any sympathy for the character of Todd in the movie but he does make that line to Don he's like I haven't masturbated in months and you know and <laughs> since you're, Easter since Easter right and you'll remain pure in his eyes if we do this one thing and it's just like no like but he's no. you can tell it that mental and emotional like manipulation yeah. has really screwed him up to lead him to down this path of you know yeah. raping yeah. Dawn, and then poor yeah. Dawn when she experiences that then experiences the whole like i'm no longer pure i am now casted out i'm not good in his eyes yeah. anymore and you know that yeah. mental and emotional anguish that she's going through
0: It's up just, like, causing this absolute spiral, you know? She's so devoted to her religion and her beliefs and everything, and it just, not only does she just have sex, like, obviously everything would have been very different if she had consensual sex, but it's just, it's, uh, yeah, it's a very confusing time. I
1: want to say, too, like, a disclaimer for our listeners is Kelly and I are not against people practicing abstinence. Like, if there's someone Mm -hmm. who wants to practice abstinence or is um, asexual or aromantic in any way, shape, or form, that's, that's Cool. that's great. That is awesome for you. And a lot of the times those people that I've met who are abstinent, it's because they've made this choice because they want to do, they want to focus on other things in their life and they just don't want to be, you know, having relationships, focusing on sex. But they're also super smart people who know a lot about what sex is, right, in that mm-hmm, education mm-hmm, and so our, mm-hmm. the, what we're bringing up and what we're talking about is that forced education, that forced abstinence on their youth who mm-hmm. haven't had that experience to make that choice for themselves. They're being told totally. they have to make a choice but they're being misinformed about those choices mm-hmm, and that's mm-hmm. kind of like, I just wanted to put that disclaimer saying like, it's not bad to be abstinent, but we also yeah. know that it's it can be used to in other means by usually a lot of times by patriarchal framework to to control women's
0: sexuality. Totally. And it's, there's a huge difference between manipulation and choice. Exactly. I don't think these young people who don't have the life experience and they're all full of hormones and they're impressionable. They don't, they can't really make these informed choices. Like you said, they're not getting the right information. They're, they're being guilted and they're, they're being shamed and these fear tactics, uh, trying to control them. And that's very different from an adult choosing their own lifestyle. That's very different. Very, very different. How about we talk about uh, surgery? Do yeah. Replace, fix our hymens. Apparently that's a yeah. thing that you can do. Uh,
1: right. This whole, like, once again, following into, falling into that purity myth, that virginity idea. That was interesting.
0: Yes, yes, it's like some of some of that like it's really it's body modification which hey, do whatever you want to your body, you know what I mean but, you know, again, there's an aspect of that that's anti-aging. Uh, women want to be youthful; they want to be they want to be young again. Mm. So, some women have like they get their hymen recreated because there's yeah. that very like superficial idea that we all know is false. Yeah, that if your hymen breaks, that means you're no longer a virgin. But mm. we know that's not actually yeah truly mechanically how that happens, but. You know, we have these women that want to return to this, like, idolized, you know, notion of being, like, an innocent girl. I'm a young girl. Maybe want their husband to take their virginity again, Mm -hmm. so to speak. But, of course, then, this surgery is not for the women. It's for the men. Yes. It's very different than, you know, getting any kind of plastic surgery or body modification for yourself that you want to do for yourself because this is not for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: like women are having this reconstructive surgery. You said, like you said, to have their hymen reconstructed, to have their labias trimmed, their vaginas Mm -hmm. tightened, you Mm -hmm. know, and surgeons are claiming that this is a normal procedure, a procedure that can cost up to anywhere from $2,000 to $5,000 and at very serious risk to them. Mm
2: -hmm. And like Mm -hmm. I said...
1: They're not doing it for themselves. They're doing it for the husbands.
0: They want to mm-hmm. be virgins for their husband again. Oh, boy. Men want those eternally youthful uh, women. Then it gets into the whole anti-aging thing and mm-hmm. women not being comfortable with how their vulva looks because, you know, there's an idolized version of it. And then that comes down to, yes, yeah, just pressures on, on beauty standards and, and stuff like that, which is obviously very, very inappropriate and not great. I have a quote here, and you mentioned ruined women. So yeah, so these young women that don't conform to, of course, all the mandates and rules and regulations of the virginity movement—they're promiscuous and they're whores, and that's not anyone that a man will want to marry. So it's there's a lot of pressure on these young people to do what deemed to be appropriate mm-hmm. and right by god and their peers and their parents like everyone's on board on this so it's a really hard time for them i really have a lot of sympathy for for teenagers
1: yeah yeah for sure well we were teenagers and we kind of like i don't know what i do you, never
0: was <laughs> they're
1: like what do you mean i've been an immortal vampire my whole life jessica jesus yeah
0: yeah she does by
1: now but you know what i mean yeah. like we've all had yeah. sex ed education and you know we've all gone through our the hormonal changes in our bodies and it's a confusing yeah. time so to be yeah. told on top of that that you could yeah. potentially ruin your life at the age of 15 i remember yeah. how terrifying that
0: was Ugh, it was scary and it's not an and sex and the consequences can be scary. That mm. for sure, I totally get. But let's give people the right, appropriate, like, I keep saying appropriate, but the accurate is the word I'm looking for, the accurate information so everybody can make their own informed decisions. Yes. And what's really upsetting to me with this whole virginity movement, these abstinence only classes and all this education based on Puritan, Puritanical ideals yep. is that it's really pushing all of these co- the concepts and ideas and everything that we have fought for, for women's rights backwards. Yes. It's going to cause a regression. And I just, I find that I deem that to be one of the like worst things about this
1: yeah and we're still you know especially women in the states are still fighting so hard uh, for their rights you know and it just keeps coming up keeps coming back to this like men trying to control women's um, sexuality and how and control our bodies because they're afraid of us because our vaginas are going to devour them so girls guts and giallos is a podcast hosted by annie rose malmet that is an attempt to archive the feminine image in horror thriller exploitation and erotic films focus on obscure and cult cinema, Annie examines feminine characters through a queer feminist lens. Listen to her promo as we're celebrating Women in Horror Month.
0: There you go. Now
1: you hold tight. I'll be right back. Hi there. I'm Annie Rose Malamette. And I'm the creator and host of Girls, Guts, and Giallo, a podcast that examines subversive, controversial, and
0: sleazy cinema from a Leather Dyke perspective. Every Friday, a different guest and I dive deep into films that tend to get under people's skin for one reason or another. The show is queer-centric, highlighting marginalized voices that bring fresh takes to these complicated works of art all infused with a critical eye and a healthy dose of humor and horniness. Find Girls Guts and Jallow wherever you listen to podcasts and follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Girls Guts I'll be waiting for you. Now, where were we? So it's now time for Spinster's final thoughts. So I, like I said, fell in love with teeth it is a fantastic movie. There's a it's, I feel like it's a very American movie, at least talking about uh, and addressing the sexual conservatism of America, especially in that time. I think it's still highly conservative, but you know, this movie came out in 2007, so I think it was very much a product of its time and commenting, our social commentary on the time uh, like post 9/11 America. It was right around the height of absence only education and a time where they were trying to repair their conservative and traditional ideals and stuff that they thought were damaging family values. So, I think it's fantastic that this film focuses on societal repression and it affects on the day-to-day daily life of young people. Though Dawn believes in this like patriarchal perspective on the vagina dentata myth, femininity and womanhood, she does attempt to have a guy conquer her, but he doesn't. She then has her true sexual and also political awakening whether she knows it or not. She is a woman with power and she is powerful. Teeth, the movie, and monstrous women, whom I love, I think are very empowering figures in horror. I love them. I can't get enough of them. There are these deeply ingrained fears of the unknown when it comes to women from men, and I really firmly believe that these films can change the power dynamic in our favor, finally. We are the ones with the power now, and after a millennia of it being taken away from us, we are taking it back one dick at a time. Here, here.
1: You know, for me, my final thoughts around this film is there was controversy around this film. So reading about this, Tease producers Joyce uh Pierpolein, uh, she had a really hard time getting funding for this film and having filming and finding filming locations because when people would read the script, particularly men who run the industry, they did not want to see male castration on the on the screen. And they saw it as pornographic and it made them feel uncomfortable and this leads us back to this idea that I keep coming back to and we talked about it in our spinsters after dark event the other night about monstrous women is that men fear women's biology they do not understand it women we change our bodies change when we hit menstruation our bodies change when we become pregnant our bodies change when we hit menopause our bodies are constantly changing and what men don't understand and don't get is they fear that and when it comes to sex they fear our sexuality because of all the changes that come with it. And this is what I find so fascinating about coming of age horror and this is what I love about the film Teeth is that we're seeing this kind of transition, this change in Donna. She's becoming comfortable with her sexuality. She's becoming comfortable with her body. and She's becoming to getting to understand the power that comes with her sexuality. And it also really shows us and highlights the pressures that women have when it comes to sex and that we are told that we are responsible for our actions and we are responsible for our sexuality, that men have no control over their primal urges, their hormones, and that it is on us as women to make sure that we remain pure and that we make the right decisions and we stop our men from doing anything that could damage them, not us, them. And I love that in the end, Dawn takes back her power and she takes all that and she gets revenge Kind of in again like, like you know a rape revenge motif. She gets revenge on her brother for making her feel so uncomfortable her entire life for desiring her in a way that he shouldn't have been desiring her. And I love that how at the end of the movie, you know, we see her driving w- away with that. Hit- disgusting old man who clearly we know what his intentions are for her and once again she gets that annoyed like oh here we go again but then she's like no I'm going to teach you a lesson I'm in control of my sexuality and I'm going to show you that I'm in control with my sexuality and that's what I think as women continue to educate ourselves about our sexuality about our bodies we take back control for ourselves and have control over our sex and
0: take that away from the men and that ends our exploration of coming of age horror in the film Teeth we want to thank the Dance of the Dead for our intro/outro music, Robeast, and Brandon for all of his work on our promotional materials. Also, want to thank all of you listeners. We want to remind you to follow us on our website, spinstersofhorror.com. We're on Facebook, Spinsters of Horror, and within that, we have a brand new Facebook group called the Spinsters of Horror Coven. So please come join our coven. <laughs> you can also find us on Twitter at horror spinsters
1: and on Instagram at spinsters of horror. As well, please rate and review us on SoundCloud, Stitcher especially iTunes, Spotify, and any podcasting app you listen to us. Help boost our ratings and get us out there so more people can listen to us and talk to us. Reminder, we also now have merch, so please check TeePublic to purchase our t-shirts and buy stickers from our shop. And we also have a donation button on the main page if you would like to contribute. Next month, we are trying something new. We are doing original versus remakes with Dave Cronenberg's film Rabid versus the Soska twins 2019 remake of Rabid. This should be interesting. Until then, remember, the future of fear is female.